The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. So yeah, I wanted to talk to you about your view on the economy, um, which is pretty optimistic. I think that's a good place to start. I was wondering also, uh, you know, maybe before we start, if you had any views on the on the Fed meeting that concludes tomorrow. If that, um, well, they, they they'll they'll try and make it as um, unimpactful as possible, like they always okay. do. But I do think they will tell us that they are starting to, you know, create some discussions around the ending of quantitative easing, or at least the initial roll down of it. And so I think they'll signal that. He's going to have to work through a lot of inflation questions, right? Like, how are you? Yeah. Why are you ignoring, you know, all this um, rather hot and sticky inflation? And aren't your, you know, isn't this idea of being reactive rather than proactive, you know, possibly, you know, a little bit too, uh, too little, too late? Um, mm. uh, he, they, they, they still, of course, believe that it's largely transitory in nature, and so they're mm. going to be slow to react. But let's face it, that right now the, the their expectations, the, the market's expectations are, that they don't raise rates till you know the end of December. Mm. I don't think it's too hard to start to pull those thoughts forward, and I think mm. we'll start to see that. And so, you know, mm. we act like the Fed can't do anything. The Fed helped bring down inflation for years and years and years. They can they can they can they can take some of the punch bowl away quicker, faster mm. than, than 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 maybe the markets are anticipating. And wouldn't that cause the market to freak out though? Well, I don't know about freak out. Um uh you know, the earnings growth is so strong and uh uh you know, while they're expensive, you know, I think the real freak out is, you know, to the extent that the ten year treasury, you know, begins to move up. Now, mm. what what what's amazing to me is that the ten year treasury holds in here at one and a half percent. Yeah. It's the it's the animal on the planet that it seems to be going the, the opposite direction of everything else. Yeah. So, um uh and it could be that, you know, quantitative easing in and of itself, the purchasing of hundred and twenty billion dollars of government securities every month, has a bigger impact than, than we know. Not to mention, of course, the European Union is doing you know the exact same thing. Right. And, and international rates, when you take the next six largest borrowers on the planet, and you look at their ten-year government security, exing exing China out of this uh, equation, um, you know it's only costing them forty basis points to borrow money. So, yeah. so you know, worldwide interest rates are you know negatively you know positioned in terms of their real yields and uh you know i think that's that's also of course helping drive some of the recovery and and and, and uh, as you would expect it would and uh you know forcing more demand through a door that's about the same size as it was a year ago maybe even smaller because of all the supply chain disruptions mm-hmm. and the res- the result is that we're getting the friction the heat as we try and rush through the door all at the same time uh, yeah that door, can, that door can get bigger a year from now that door will be bigger some of right. the supply chain things will have taken care of themselves 
The Fed will be closer to raising rates. They'll have reversed, started reverse quantitative easing, and it's quite possible interest rates will be higher. And all that, you know, should act a little bit to, you know, start to take some of the uh, um, uh, the hotness and the stickiness of the current inflation we see, you know, off a bit. Okay, but big picture, you're pretty optimistic on the economy. I, I think I think you have to be grossly optimistic. There's mm. almost, you know, there's very very little to to not be optimistic about. Um, um, you know, but uh, other than other than the inflationary aspect of of what all this growth means, and uh, and then and and perhaps you know a, a reaction from the Fed and then and a rising interest rate level that begins to you know uh, push back on on all the growth that we're seeing. Right, right. Okay. How big of a risk is that? Because if you look at the previous cycles, uh, you know, you know uh, back in the two thousand, even the one that that got cut short by COVID. The market, it took a while for the market and even the economy to kind of turn over. You know, there was like a, a couple of years there of, of higher interest rates or of interest rate hikes, I should say, um, yeah. before I that mean, kind of, right. yeah. I mean, you know, we're in a we're in a self-sustaining, you know, kind of slingshot recovery mm. started by the, you know, 0% monetary policy and, of course, all the stimulus and then a vaccine that's working better, faster, quicker than most people anticipated. And so really, you know, um, you know, the recession lasted literally two or three months mm. and the bounce back has been a lot stronger and with corporate earnings growing, people coming back to work, wages and salaries growing, it really becomes kind of a self-fulfilling, you know, economic expansion. Mm. My my biggest worry is, is that it doesn't have as far to go or as long to go as the two well, as basically almost every recovery we we remember mm. because we're coming out of the gate so fast. I've always kind of used right. the analogy that the the recovery to me is like a um, a runway, and mm-hmm. if you get started slowly as you plane moves down the runway, it takes quite a while to lift off, and you've got a lot of time on the on the tarmac before you finally lift off. This this you know this opening is closer to a fighter jet, and to that extent, perhaps we don't spend as much time on the tarmac you know before you get to you know that that that, that hot lift off that the Fed has to push back on. So. Um, you know that's and that's just a guess. That's just a that's mm-hmm. a, a gross wild guess. And I would say you've got years yet of economic recovery. Mm-hmm. It's just that you might not have since 1960. The average recovery has lasted seven and a half years. I'm just saying, I'm not so sure we've got seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in this recovery because yeah. we're coming out of the gate so strong. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's any case to be made for the Fed's claim insistence that the inflation that we are seeing is transitory, and that even without the Fed doing anything or signaling anything that that kind of comes in a bit uh, over the next couple of months? Well, I, you know, will come in a bit over the next couple of months. You know, probably it, it probably on a numerical basis peaks, you know, next month. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're losing the, the May print from last year that was negative one-tenth, and yeah. we're going to be putting in a four-tenth or five-tenth print in. So basically add five-tenths or six-tenths to the current inflation CPI, that's five. So, you know, we're going to see five-six, something like that. Then after that, the inflation prints started to come on, you know, started to started to bubble up last year right. at this time, and so it becomes a lot harder to have those year-over-year increases that we're seeing now. So I right. think, you know, on a, on a natural basis, just you know, the, the, the so-called base effect they like to talk about, um, you know, the easiest way of thinking about this is right now bank earnings look great, but that's because the banks, of course, wrote off all their <laughs> yeah. wrote off a lot of uh, earnings last year this in this past quarter. And of course, now they're recovering some of those earnings that, that that they never lost. And so, you know, on a year-over-year basis, inflation at five percent CPI. If I asked you what two years of inflation is, it's actually just two and a half percent per year, which doesn't sound uh-huh. really as bad, right? So the last yeah, two years yeah. inflation, and then and then the core inflation, 
same exact number, 2.5% for the last two years. That's a little more palatable than thinking that inflation is running at 5 or 6%. Sure, sure. All right, flip side to the other question, you know, with this hot takeoff and stuff, is, is there a chance that, you know, we've seen asset bubbles already, uh, you know, cryptos and, and, you know, real estate, one can make the case. And this, this too is not new. This is something that we've seen in past cycles where, the, the, you know, you have the asset bubbles forming and the Fed was too slow to raise interest rates. Uh, that then made all the, the popping all that more painful. Is there anything that could that could we could where we could see that this time around? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, um, the Fed has telegraphed that they aren't going to be raising rates at least you know right now per their dot plot. Only four of the 18 potential voting members say that they should be raising rates, and that starts at the end of next year. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see from the dot plot from the Fed tomorrow that they're going to start to – that there will be six or seven members that think mm-hmm. they should be raising rates. And then I think you're going to start to see that dot plot you know, come forward a bit as they, as they basically raise their economic forecast and they raise their inflation uh, forecast. I think you know you're going to see that they're going to have to move a little quicker, a little faster than they thought. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, they risk you – know, they, they always risk a, a bubble in something. I don't really think that there's a bubble in anything right at the moment, uh, with the exception mm. of probably things like steel prices and copper prices, and which have come uh, down in the last couple of days. But yeah, they, they they sure have, and uh, you know you can't expect lumber prices to continue to increase like yeah. they've been increasing. And uh, you know if there's a tree, someone's going to cut it down and try yeah. to figure out how to turn it into a two by four right now because it's never been more valuable. Mm. So you know the. Um, um, in much the same way that the vaccine, when it first started, didn't have enough of it, tremendous demand, the logistics were all bad. But now, of course, we have a glut of vaccine, and you can go into any Walgreens and get your get a shot today if you wanted it, and uh, the demand's coming down. We just really have to think of what things look like a year or two from now. And mm-hmm. I think they'll, I think you know the the, the the supply chain disruptions will be caught up on. Um, you know, we've always had a, a, an overcapacity to build cars, and this is one of these rare instances where we can't build enough cars to, yeah, to satiate yeah. the demand. And but you know, at, at, we've always been able to build about 90 million cars a year globally, and the demand's about 80. And so we do have, in the longest of runs, still you know overcapacity in a lot of industries. China can pump out nine times more steel than the U.S. demands in a year. So you know, it's it just takes some time. Um, and uh, the, the key the key drivers that have brought inflation down haven't disappeared. And what are those two key mm. drivers? It's the aging of the planet, and mm. that hasn't changed at all um, mm. as we continue to age. In fact, the emerging markets that used to have you know the, the, the lots of lots of children are now having more and more um, you know like developed countries with just you know 1.8 or 1.9 you know children per. Uh, per uh, uh, you know uh, female um, that that's coming down you know the, uh, the in the emerging markets the uh, birth rate and so you know the aging of the planet continues and then secondly technology gosh mm-hmm. knows we haven't lost any technology and that technology the application of technology um, be it in artificial intelligence uh, software to replace you know humanware uh, or access to unlimited amounts of, of foreign labor uh, overseas labor emerging market labor. I don't think that's disappeared. Maybe you don't get Chinese labor as cheaply as you used to, but it's still available in Malaysia, and Indonesia, and Vietnam, and mm-hmm. frankly, it's 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 perpetually been available in Africa. And hopefully, that's the the big hope someday is that you know Africa itself becomes an emerging market. Yeah, yeah, indeed, uh, that'd be great to see. All right, well, so lastly, here, where does that leave an investor? I mean, it sounds like you you know you're bullish on growth. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's rebounded quite a bit over the last month or so. Um, well, and you mentioned financials, which are off a bit. 
energy looking good again after a bit of a dip. What do you what do you think there? You know, we 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 were lucky enough to have actually caught the turn here a little bit on this value growth story and and, and added back to value at almost oh. exactly the right time. Now we're not overweight value; we're just kind of neutral in value and growth. Mm-hmm. I do think that value tends to win early. It's historically been proven that value tends to win early in these cycles, and they win for quite a while. By quite a while, I mean a year or two or three. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we'll probably rotate back towards a, a growth market, but you know, value has a lot of catching up to do, and mm-hmm. uh, I still think that in general, that's where that's where the monies are flowing. And you know, while we say, "Geez, is the stock market expensive?" and is the stock market ahead of itself? You know, earnings in the second quarter are likely to be coming in at an annualized pace of two hundred and twenty dollars a share. By mm-hmm. the end of the year, it's unbelievable, but you might see something like two thirty, two forty, wow. even two hundred and fifty dollars per share. Wow. If it's and let's just take 220. Well, that's a 4400. You know, on the S&P 500, that's a PE of 20 at 4400, and we're not at 4400 yet. I don't think. I think we're still closer to 4300. So you know, the PEs are rolling over quickly. Um, that still doesn't mean stocks aren't expensive. If you yeah. use that that great case Schiller, they're not Schiller, but the the K, uh, the, K, the, Sh- uh, the Schiller PE ratios. Um, uh, the the 10-year you know moving average of of the uh, price to earnings. Stocks are expensive. They've been this expensive about 17 times. The forward decade return has ranged from 2.7 to 8 percent. So it's a low expectation, you know, on a forward mm-hmm. basis. But you're comparing it to a 10-year Treasury, which is one and a half percent. And you know, mm-hmm. so it's just a chip shot to beat the bond market. And you don't have to beat it by, you know, I mean, historically the market's beaten the bond market by about four to six percent a year. Mm-hmm. And that sounds about right because you know we mm-hmm. know what a, I know what I know with almost perfect precision what the return of bonds is going to be for the next decade and it's mm. it's the correlation is 0.95 r squared it's basically the return it's the it's the yield of the 10 year treasury plus a credit spread about 80 right. basis points so call it 2.3% plus or minus right. a little bit that's what you can earn for the next decade in bonds and the only question you have is can you suffer the slings and arrows of of of, of, of equity volatility to earn something more than 2.3% you don't have to earn 2.3%. You know, during the internet bubble from 99 to 01, basically, if you bought stocks, then it took you 13 years to get your money back. Right. So, if you, you know, it's 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 quite possible to not make any money in a decade. And I don't want to say that it's a layup. And I don't want to say that, you know, stocks are cheap. They're not. But mm. I do think with a 1.5% dividend yield and not a grossly overinflated market, um, you know, you're you're quite likely to be able to beat your competing asset class, which is you know, mm-hmm. basically the bond market. So yeah. this is what this is why we're still leaning on risk-based assets, despite the fact that you know stocks have done done so much better than, than we anticipated, and yeah. so much better than most people did. Right up 18% last year, 13% on a global basis this year. The Morgan Stanley World Index, you know, up 13%. So you say, geez, how long can that last? We're only asking for two and a half to eight percent over the next decade, yeah. and and yeah. that that will that will unfortunately beat my bond fund, which um, yeah. you know is a it's a there's still money flowing into bonds too, which which is rather surprising. Very surprising. Yeah, I wonder where that's coming from. Any thoughts on that? Is that the well, uh, well, um, you know, there are a number of people that have to buy bonds. Okay, so sure. this is our bank, um, uh, because we're largely footed with uh, you know um, uh, deposits guaranteed by the government don't afford me the opportunity to go buy stocks for the bank. So I have to buy investment-grade bonds. Insurance companies primarily, you know, pension funds have to have some long-dated. But a lot of the money is coming from the stock market because you're getting this rebalancing. Stocks Mm -hmm. have run and run and run, and at the margin almost every quarter, we're getting cash flows towards the bond market that are rebalancing out of the equity market. 
and then on the retail side, they're buying the heck out of the municipal bond market because they're scared about mm. the tax the tax increases, despite the fact that you know muni yields relative to corporate yields are basically at an all-time low. So muni yields just look horrible. There's been so much money flowing into them, and there hasn't been a lot of production of new municipal mm. securities. So you know you're looking at you're looking at yields, you know, of one percent. Yeah. Or so. Yeah. Right. Now that is so, tax free, and that's twice it's tax free. saving. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is. But uh, you know, with inflation running at three or four percent, that's right. Yeah, it's still a negative two or three percent yield, right? Yeah, no, no question. Yeah, it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough slog for assets in general mm-hmm. to you know mm-hmm. create huge real returns because they're already priced you know so expensively. And then of course bonds mm-hmm. almost have no ability to generate a real return. At most, you can probably generate an inflation-like return. The 30-year tip, the 30-year Treasury Inflation Protected Security, is even to inflation. So mm-hmm. if you want to lock in inflation for 30 years and earn nothing on your money, and you can do it in a Roth IRA where you don't have to pay any taxes, you can do that. Mm-hmm. But to everybody else that has to pay taxes, you're still going to end up you know, losing money on a relative mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. But you do think that you know stocks are probably the best bet in that you know, all we, things yeah, being equal. Right. Um, all things being equal, you still have to take some risk to basically generate a real return. Um now, you know, at the end of the economic expansion, like clockwork, the stock market will fall again 34%. That's mm-hmm. the average that's the average downturn and that's spot on, you know, with just what we went through and uh generally it takes seven and a half years to get there. Uh once over that seven and a half years, you you get a 20 to 25% downcline that scares the bejeebers out of you, right? Mm-hmm. And then then every 3 years you get a 10% decline and usually two or three times a year you get a 5% decline. So, you know, there's there's you know, you have to suffer that volatility and just close your eyes and, and look through mm-hmm. it if you want to generate, you know, some type of real return right now. There is no mm-hmm. safety available anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do think the Federal Reserve would be better off having a slightly higher short-term rate just mm-hmm. because I don't think I don't think that savers should have to, you know, suffer zero yields. I think, you know, that there ought to be a little something offered. And really, the, I think the whole complex works a little better. The whole money market complex, everyone's checking account. Everybody works a little bit better with a slightly, you know, a slightly higher short-term rate than zero. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Um, all right. Well, that's really good. Uh, Scott Colbert of uh, Commerce Bank, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today, or your third visit, if I'm not mistaken. So Yeah. I welcome, don't know that I a lot of contrarian thoughts today. No, not this you know, time, but yeah. not necessarily. But it's, uh, you know, but I think that being uh, bullish on stocks is, Maybe not contrarian, but a little unpopular now. But then, like you said, where else are you going to put money on the bond? Yeah, I think, you know, Brad, I think it's got longer longer legs than most people think. And there are a number of people, of course, pointing out the fact that stocks are expensive. And so, okay, yes, and then they're a little more dangerous than they used to be. But, you know, the alternatives are, 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 are slim and none as well. Mm, mm, okay, so maybe a good setup to buy these dips as they, if, if and when they do. Everybody wants to buy the dip, the dip that doesn't seem to come around. Mm, yeah, and then when it does come, they get scared. And they they get, of course you do. It's just human psychology. Me too, Indeed. right? It's like, yeah, well, I'm waiting yeah. for it. I want it. And then all of a sudden, well, maybe it'll go down another 5%. Yeah, well, <laughs> right, right, right. Very good. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Um, thank you all for listening and look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time.